Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. This is The Crossover, an NBA show hosted by Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. It's a whole new level for you and me, Chris, this relationship. Like and subscribe for the best weekly NBA content these two are capable of. What does that mean? Could be the best duo ever. I don't see how you can beat that. Here they are, Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. All right, crossover NBA podcast, Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. And Howard, I would like to say off the top, I think you are the most improved podcaster of 2022. You may have been, or you may have a rich history in podcasting. People may have had high expectations for you as a podcaster, but if there was a most improved award, I would vote for you. Do you see where I'm going with this, Beck? I humbly accept this honor as the MIP of uh, of podcasting. Uh, I've been working hard. I feel like it's it's you know what? It's about time that the haters finally came around on me, Mannix, and recognized my craft. Uh, I see where you're going. We've got a really we had a, a, a fairly strange result in the most improved player this year with with uh, with John Morant. Did it bother you? That we got John Morant as our most improved of 2021-22? I've been saying for years, in all my years of voting, that this was the one award that was always the most subjective. Some people like to vote for high lottery picks who made big jumps in their second, third, or fourth year. I have always viewed it as an award for the guys that weren't blue-chip prospects, that were late first round picks, second round picks, undrafted free agents, guys you had almost no expectations for. A guy like John Morant, who is a great player, if he didn't miss those, what, 30 games, he would have been in the mix for top five for MVP, um, all-star. I mean, everything about him is great. But I expected him to be this good. Based on what I saw last year, I saw, in a way, 
much of this coming. So for him to win most improved, it's just weird. I mean, frankly, I thought his teammate, Desmond Bain, was more worthy of that award. I thought Jordan Poole was worthy of that award. DeJounte Murray turning into an all-star this year uh, was more worthy of this award. Takes nothing away from the player that um, that Ja is, but this is just kind of a weird award, I thought, for him to win. It is weird. And look, like with all of these awards, for the most part, there is really no definition. So it's eye of the beholder stuff. We make it up as we go along. Some of us, I think, heed tradition more and just and like you've heard me say this about mvp how do we know what mvp means when there's no definition by 30 or 40 years worth of mvp results that give us a a composite picture of what it means to be mvp in the nba and it holds fairly consistent most improved same thing but we've got a couple different things going on this year chris i'll get to the vote totals in a second but one of them is this we now have i think like a little bit of a schism in NBA Twitter and NBA media and NBA Twitter and NBA ballots are not necessarily the same thing. There's only 100 voters. But it does seem like, and I know of at least one voter who who was very strident about this point, that it says most improved. And he takes it very literally. Most improved. It's just the person who improved the most. And it doesn't matter whether they're first pick, the 30th pick, or undrafted. And so that's fine. If you want to be that literal about it, that's fine. The tradition of the award, and then here I'm going to cite... Our old friend Mike Monroe, longtime NBA writer uh, from the Denver Post and the San Antonio Express News, now retired. But Jeff McDonald at the San Antonio Express News Spurs beat writer has noted on Twitter recently that, hey, Monroe always told me most improved is for one of the other guys. Not a guy who's an MVP candidate, not a guy who's a perennial all-star, expected to be an all-star, expected to be a star. Somebody who did something uh, made made a big leap, not just that you couldn't see it coming, because this is the other backlash we're now getting, and I think there's an age uh, gap here, or a little bit of a generational schism, where younger people are saying, you old guys have had this wrong all along, this whole tradition of, of awarding it to the guy you couldn't see coming, or the 30th pick, ah, that's just silly. The award says most improved, so it's just about improving. Again, okay, literally speaking, you are correct, but I think that that tradition has merit, what Mike Monroe was imparting to Jeff McDonald from generation to generation has merit, which is we have all these other awards to honor the guys who are literally the best in the league, all NBA and defensive player of the year and MVP most improved by tradition. And maybe I think it, the spirit of the award you could argue is for guys who made a bigger career for themselves than we rightfully had, uh, or that we had a right to expect. And so here's some of the most recent ones. Because this is a departure, John Morant. All right, last year was Julius Randle, seventh overall pick. A lottery pick, but seventh. And he was in his seventh season. He made the leap very late when nobody thought he could make that improvement. That improvement was more meaningful because of that. The year before, it was Brandon Ingram. Now, Brandon Ingram, like Morant, was a second overall pick. But Ingram was in his fourth season and had done nothing to really distinguish himself and suddenly made the leap to, like, franchise foundational player. Year before that, 2019, it was Siakam, 27th overall pick when he was drafted. Year before that, uh, 2018, it was Oladipo, also a second overall pick, but again, in his fifth season, more like the Brandon Ingram model, where we didn't know if you were going to actually have a career of, of any merit to speak of, and boom, you pulled it all together, you made something better of your career, you figured it out. Before that, Giannis, 15th overall pick. Before that, uh, Cesar McCollum, 10th overall pick. 
Before that, Jimmy Butler, 30th overall pick. Before that, Gore Dragic, second round pick. Paul George was a 10th overall pick. Ryan Anderson, 21st overall pick. So there's the last like 10 or so. By and large, we have not been giving it to the John Morants of the world who were literally in the running for MVP. But I do want to note for the people who are carping about, oh, the media screwed this up. The media doesn't get it. What are they doing? It's 100 ballots. John Morant was only at the top of 38 of them. So almost two thirds of us did not have him at the top. And he had another 13 votes uh, after that for second or third. So nine, nine second place votes and four thirds. So he had he was on half the ballots, but he was only on uh, at the top slot on 38 of them. My ballot uh, was Jordan Poole at the top. DeJounte Murray second, Desmond Bain third. And I think those guys are more in the spirit of what this award is intended for. But listen, Chris, I can't argue that John Morant made a huge leap this season and was very much vastly improved. But nah, I I, think he's going to... The award, I do think, is for the Jordan Pools and the DeJounte Murrays and the Desmond Baines and the Tyrese Maxeys. Um, and the Anthony Simonses, and all, you know, all of whom got got a bunch of votes, but the vote was split in a thousand directions, and John Morant got more first than anybody. Yeah, I, I didn't vote for Ingram a couple of years ago, and I just won't vote for a guy that's inside the top three. It's it's just not their award. To your point, I think it belongs to the guys that are doing things that you never really expected them to do. Are surprised by what they can do when those top three guys they're they're supposed to be you know high level players there's no distance too far for the perfect trip hi checking in for or the perfect table hey where are you coming and when you get access to resi priority notify with your amex platinum card hey this looks amazing i'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through amex travel it's worth the trip that's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo play all right i want to move on to uh what we saw on uh monday night in brooklyn the brooklyn nets are eliminated howard you and i were at the barclays center to watch the celtics knock off the nets i give brooklyn credit they fought 
until the very end on this one. If not for you know one missed free throw by Kevin Durant that kind of changed the last bit of momentum of that game. The Celtics picked up a, a putback bucket, went up four, and that was basically the game with 13 seconds left. Uh, but the Nets came back. They rallied. Durant scored 39 points. Kyrie Irving had seven in the fourth quarter. So to their credit, they didn't fold down three zip. But this was a bad loss uh, for this Nets team. And there are a couple things I want to unpack with Brooklyn before we move on to to the Celtics. Um, ben Simmons did not play in this game. He was not at the Barclays Center because, according to the Nets, uh, he was uh, dealing with his back injury. Uh, everything that we had heard about Ben Simmons over the last couple of days, Howard, seemed like he was trending towards playing in this game four. He did not. He didn't show up at Barclays. Um, you and I have some a difference of opinion, I think, on Simmons not playing and not being there. But what did you? T- what was your takeaway from Simmons not being part of of game four and not being in the building at all. So as you know, I don't have a problem with him not playing because I always thought it was a stretch for a guy who hasn't played in almost a year, has never played with this particular team to suddenly make his debut in the playoffs. I don't think is fair to the player, especially a player who has been through so much anyway and was going to have so much scrutiny on him. It's not setting him up for success. I think that's a difficult way of, of introducing a guy. But on top of that, I don't think it's great for chemistry because to the extent that this team has barely had any chemistry all season anyway because of everything that has happened to them and sometimes because of them, to throw in one more variable in the middle of a tough playoff series against a potential championship uh, team in the Celtics, like I, I just don't think that would have been a, a formula for success. I don't think it would have been good for anyone. All that said, should he have been in the building? Should he have been on the bench? My, my immediate response would be yes. Of course he should. Of course you should be there supporting your teammates, cheering, being there for this important moment. The explanation from the Nets is his back was acting up. It was bothering him. And so he couldn't come and sit on the bench or whatever. He's sitting somewhere, I would think. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I get it. Like, I, you know, coaches have had back issues. Like, Phil Jackson was sat on that, looked like a throne on the bench for all those years. Ty Lue does it too now, actually. A Phil Jackson disciple um, with the high chair on the bench because it's hard to sit low. It's it's bad for his back. Ben Simmons does have legit back issues. He got an epidural for it. Like, all this stuff. We know this. But that he couldn't even be in the building? Uh, like, I know we're not supposed to question anything about Ben Simmons' health anymore, physically, mentally, or otherwise. But... The idea that he couldn't be there, I'm sorry. It feels like a stretch. It feels like a stretch, and we're not exactly getting much elaboration on it. But I, I do want to throw this in there because we do have this elaboration uh, report that uh, was published in The Athletic not long before you and I sat down to record from Sham Sharania, who has been getting, obviously, a lot of information from Clutch over the course of the season about Ben Simmons. Um, He reports Sunday's events triggered frustration and disheartenment throughout the organization. Multiple sources said the fallout of Simmons being ruled out Sunday led to a meeting among franchise officials and Simmons and his agent, Rich Paul. Um, According to sources, this is the key thing. According to sources, Simmons told those in the room that a mental block exists for him, dating in part to last summer's postseason, which is creating stress that could serve as a trigger point for his back issues. Uh, he added that he does want to play basketball and play for the Nets as he works on solutions in regard to his well-being. So now the back issues and the 
mental health, anxiety, whatever issues that, you know, bo- both of which have, have caused much consternation, of course, amongst NBA fans. Those, these things are now being linked together for, I believe, the first time. Take that for what it's worth, folks. I'm not telling you how you should think about this, but that is the explanation now is that the back is being triggered by, I suppose, the stress of of, of whatever's been bothering him since last summer. Um, I mean, there's just a lot going on here, Chris. And, and again, I'm going to leave that alone, but I'm going to use that as a leaping off point just to say, and I mentioned this in my column today about the end of the net season, the Nets have a big three in which two of the three stars are the two most mercurial stars in the entire league and of the last 10, 20 years, potentially. Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving, mercurial barely begins to describe. And this is what you're relying on. You've got Kevin Durant, who is an all-time great and played his ass off this season. You know, Aside from his, his six-week injury, he was available and, and playing his heart out. You know Kevin Durant cares. I don't know what to think of Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving. I don't know how much the Nets can really rely on the idea of a big three going into next season when two of the three are as unreliable and and unpredictable as Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving. You know, when ESPN reported that meeting between Simmons, his agent, and Nets management, that's when you knew that Brooklyn was upset. Um, you know, the Nets have publicly downplayed the idea of Simmons coming back for days now. Steve Nash has consistently punted on that question of when he's going to come back, but Simmons had been at practice. He was going through drills. He was playing three-on-three as recently as Saturday, and every indication was that he was going to come back. And for him to kind of pull the plug on that on Sunday with the team facing elimination and having no depth at the wing position. Kevin Durant in game three played 46 minutes. That seemed like a lot until game four when he played 47 minutes out there. <laughs> um, that Ben Simmons couldn't make himself available for five to 10 minutes just to play defense on Jason Tatum was remarkable. Now, you and I disagree on the idea of throwing him out there. I think it's worth it given that I think Steve Nash would rather light himself on fire than play Cam Thomas any minutes. Um so Simmons, at least going out there and playing 10 minutes of defense, I think would have given Durant the kind of rest that he needed going into the fourth quarter of that game. And so Simmons not playing had to have been a disappointment to that organization. And I can only wonder, Howard, moving forward, like, what does the locker room think of all that? Like, you got a guy like Durant out there giving it his, his all. You got Nick Claxton going 0 for 10 from the free throw line, but still playing and doing everything he can to defend guys like Tatum uh, on the perimeter. Ben Simmons can't play. He, he can't go out there and play. Like there's a mental block that dates back to last year's playoffs. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know, man, that, that I hate to use a word like quit, but it felt like it. It just, you know, that team was down three zip. Ben Simmons didn't want to come back and that was it. Like I, I, I can't read anything more into it than that. He's been off for a year, man. Yeah. Like he's been just hanging out and, it's just got to be frustrating if you're Nets officials, if you're Nets players, that with your back against the wall against the Celtics team, that by the way, you know, they lost four zip, but I think what was the total margin of victory for Boston going into that game for like 14 points? And it they was, only won by small. what's. Yeah. It was small. So but you're in this series. So I kind just. Of, I just yeah. Listen, I, I, but I, oh, come I, on. I game, like, one, game one, Howard's a miracle shot by Tatum. Like that, you know, <laughs> that, that, I mean. Yeah. 
Come on. Like in, in game two, this, they had to rally from 10 down in the second half where the Nets just didn't show up. Kyrie didn't show up in that game. Look, this was a winnable. Could they have come back from three zip? Probably not. No team has done it up until this point. So, but like, could they have won that game? Yeah. Maybe they could yeah, have. Maybe I, if Durant wasn't playing 47. If, if you lose in a sweep, even if every loss was literally a point and literally a buzzer, well, maybe not literally a buzzer beater. I may be going a little bit too hyperbolic here. But, but, but if you lose in a sweep, even if every game was decided by five points or less, you lost in a sweep. It means you weren't good enough to even win a game. And so I, I'm, not, I'm not going to sugarcoat this for the Nets and say that, oh, they were in. They, no, they weren't in this. They were not in this. Uh, and, and yeah, if Tatum doesn't make that shot, yeah, if if uh, Shaq and Kobe don't come back from 15 down in Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals in 2000, if they don't, you know, uh, win an overtime Game 7 in 2002 against the Kings in the Conference Finals. Like, yes, there's always these little, uh, you know, pivot points. You get swept, you get swept. It was not close. It's not close if you lost all four games uh, in a row. <laughs> they, they gave it all they had. You're right. It took extraordinary amounts of of play and usage from their two stars. Kyrie didn't always look engaged, to be honest. He certainly wasn't last night. You're crediting them for for playing hard in the fourth quarter. Kyrie Irving at one point let the clock run out instead of at least trying a last second heave. Was that at the quarter mark of the half half, uh, time? I can't even remember. But like, I didn't think Kyrie Irving was playing that aggressively last night. He started to toward the end, but like at that point they're playing catch up. I didn't feel yeah. like Kyrie Irving came out last night on fire looking like he was going to have one of those games where I'm I'm going to I'm going to shoot us back into this series. No, when and- I talk to people, when I talk to people in Boston um over the last couple of days, you know, they reminded me that this looked a lot like the Kyrie they saw a couple of years ago during that second go. round series against Milwaukee where he didn't look engaged at all in that. I just, look, to bring it back to Simmons, like, I just think he could have played. Like, he could have gone out there and done something. And if you're his teammate, I don't know how you find that acceptable. We here's the thing, Chris. Like I, I better, and I'm I'm more of a benefit of the doubt person than you by by personality. But like that we is don't, correct. <laughs> we we don't know, right? So I'm gonna say at the end of the day, we don't know. We don't know if he could have played literally. Um, but I will say this, and here's where I think you and I agree. Whatever you might think of Kyrie's decision this year that took him out of two thirds of the season, whatever you may think of. Ben Simmons' saga and where what's valid, what's not, what's fair, what's not, all this. The bottom line is, this is a team sport, and you signed up to be with these guys. In Ben Simmons' case, you got traded to be with these guys. But nevertheless, you have an obligation and a responsibility, as we all do in our jobs, and you have teammates, and it's a team sport. And if you are any other, any other, any of the other Nets, especially Kevin Durant, who, to his credit, I mean, that dude is gracious beyond belief. Our, our buddy Vinny Goodwill from Yahoo got Durant, did the walk and talk on the way out last night after the press conference. And Kevin Durant basically told him, listen, like, sure, I've been frustrated at times this season, but like Kyrie and I are still friends and like it's not going to affect our friendship. Doesn't mean that he wasn't frustrated on a basketball level. Kevin Durant, more than anybody, because he's got legacy issues uh, or you know legacy stuff wrapped up in all this, but all of them, Bruce Brown, you and I were both in there for the press conferences last night. Bruce Brown certainly did not sound like a happy camper about the way this all wrapped up. I'm not I don't want to say that's directed at anybody, but you cannot be a part of this team, that coaching staff, that locker room, that front office and not feel at least a little bit like Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving let you down. They're 
their reasons may be valid or not valid. I'm not even judging that. But on a basic basketball level and a team sport level, if you're anyone whose careers and success is tied to those guys, it's got to be freaking maddening that they're just not even available. All right, so what do you do if you're Brooklyn? Because the roster basically is what it is. Kevin Durant signed on for the long term. Ben Simmons under contract for three more years, and he is untradeable at this point. Joe Harris uh, coming back from major ankle surgery. He's a big part of their success on both ends. Two big questions, Howard, that I think the Nets have to answer in the coming months, will have to answer in the coming months. First, is Steve Nash the right guy to lead this team moving forward? And what kind of contract do you offer Kyrie Irving? Kyrie's got a player option on his deal for next year. He said afterwards he planned to be in Brooklyn for a long time. He had a vintage, bizarre Kyrie Irving <laughs> quote when he talked about, I want to be here. It's on, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but it's on me and Kevin and Joe Sy and uh, Sean Marks to basically manage this franchise. He is yeah. making himself assistant GM in the aftermath of a four-game sweep uh, to the Celtics. Um, let's start with Steve Nash. Uh, how... You know, is this how big a decision is this for Brooklyn? Is it a no-brainer in your mind to bring him back, or did what you see during this uh, series against Boston? I mean, did he get exposed? I've been polling some people around the league the last couple of weeks, and and again yesterday, leading into this game last night, figuring that I was going to write this uh, season obituary, and you know, I keep putting the question to people around the league, other executives, coaches, like, what do you do if you're the Nets, like? And and the, and the the bottom line is like whether Kyrie opts out and you re-sign him or whether he's he doesn't opt out and you now are faced with having to extend him, you can't afford to just let him walk. Like that's not even really an option because you can't replace him. You're capped out, so you can't replace him. You're you're going to be over the cap anyway, so you can't get commensurate talent um, if he leaves. So you can't just like say, wash your hands and say, you know what? I'm tired of this. Kyrie, unreliable. And I'm the first one to say, Kyrie's unreliable. I don't want my fate tied to him if I'm the Nets. But he's he's Kevin Durant's buddy. Durant wants him there. As far as we know, he still does. He says so uh, repeatedly. Um, and you can't just let a, a, a player with that talent walk away. I I think the way I play it is this. Like if he opts out, I'm trying to sign him to the lowest amount possible. I did ask, I didn't put fit all this into the story, but there's no market for him out there, right? If he goes to free agency and the Nets say, okay, you're a free agent. Um, we want to pay you X amount below the max. And we don't want to give you the full five years that you're eligible for. We want to go one plus one or two plus one. We, we, want, to, we want to cover ourselves. We don't want to over invest in you because you haven't been reliable, Kyrie. What's Kyrie going to do? Walk away to who exactly? Who's giving him the max? Nobody. I, 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 I don't want to guarantee this, but if Kyrie Irving's a free agent this summer, the chances of any other team maxing him out, I think are very low given his track record, given his lack of availability. I think I figured out he's played in like 50-something, 50 59% of, of his team's games over the last five years or something. He's missed 41%. Like, he's not a reliable commodity, both in health and in commitment. So the Nets can afford to play hardball, I think. So I, I do think you take a hard line on the contract terms. Um, 
But you can't let him walk because Durant wants him there and because you can't replace him with the same level of talent. You know, you say, Howard, that nobody would max him out, and you're probably right, but it only takes one team. It only takes one team to get crazy. And, like, let's say, and I'm yeah, the hypothetical out there. Like, let's say, like, Dallas falls in love with Kyrie Irving, a, a team in a state that will never, ever have a vaccination issue when it comes to a guy uh, missing games. Like, what if they you know, somehow lose this series against Utah and decide they want to find a way to get Kyrie. You can say there's no, like, they've got some cap issues, but as our friend Daryl Morey often kind of points out, you only have cap issues until you don't. Like, you can you can figure it out when it comes to um, the salary cap situation. I, I Look, I just, I worry there might be one team. If you're the Nets, you have to be worried there's one team out there that will go crazy. Like, I agree with you. You, you want to sign them to a one plus one or a two plus one or whatever it is, some kind of, short-term deal that keeps the pressure on him to play at the highest of levels, but he might have the leverage of one team. And if he does, does that force the Nets to give him that four- or five-year deal that you know they are going to be loath to give him? Like that That's what would concern me if I was Brooklyn. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm not saying uh, there. Are, like you and I both know there's there's no guarantees. We talk about untradeable contracts and then guys get traded. We talk about a guy's unsignable, somebody signed. Like, yes. It only takes one. That is the rule of the NBA. It is uh, yet to be disproven. I don't think anybody is going to the to the mat to go all out to sign Kyrie is going to give him a max deal. I think the Nets plus have he'd, he'd have to he'd some, have to want to go leverage. there too. He'd have to want to go there too, yes. right? Like I mean, that's yes. the big thing with Kyrie. Yes. He's got a very small list of teams that he would embrace. Like he's not going to Orlando or. Charlotte or you know Sacramento. one of these cities, Sacramento. Yeah. Like he's not and not doing it. He's not going to Minnesota. You know. And it, by the way, he's not going to Cleveland or Boston. So you can scratch those teams off the list. Um, the Knicks might. Be, the Knicks could probably use him. Um, <laughs> but I don't. I don't. I don't think there's any downside for the Nets here in terms of the contract negotiations. The only way you alienate Kevin Durant is if Kyrie is gone. But I think you have all the room in the world to play hardball with Kyrie and say, look, you have not been available. You have not come close to playing a full season for us in the three years you've been here, and you've made it as hard as possible on us. I mean, listen, I don't want to say he single-handedly compromised a championship uh, run this season, but he has the biggest percentage of responsibility for it. You know, you, you can't control a lot of other things that happen. You can't control what happened to Durant, although maybe all those early season minutes while he was playing without Kyrie contributed to him eventually having knee issues. I don't know. It's possible. Um, Kyrie's, you know, in avail- or unavailability certainly contributed to James Harden souring on the nets and wanting to, to get out. So Kyrie did more to compromise their chances of a championship this season than any other single person. And if you're the Nets, you absolutely have the right and the obligation at the bargaining table this summer to say, we are not over-investing in you. You've shown us that that's not, obviously you're not saying it so undiplomatically, but they they have to take a hard line. And by the way, I would keep keep everything on the table, by the way. If the chance, if there was a chance to trade him and Durant didn't object, you check with him, of course, first, I would trade him. I would have traded him months ago. If there's a chance to trade Ben Simmons potentially, and his market value has never been lower, I mean, people talked about Simmons's value was diminished 
because of what was happening in Philly. I don't know about I don't know about that. They they got hard for him. His value by now is absolutely at its lowest because now you're really if you're anybody else around the league now you're really concerned with my gosh is this guy ever going to be healthy is he ever going to want to play um but again i i don't want to tie my fate to either of those guys i wouldn't either but brooklyn if they want to remain competitive during the durant era like they're almost out of options there like it's it would take some real creativity to you know make a deal that keeps them on the highest of level. You just got to kind of cross your fingers and hope that Kyrie plays like Kyrie without a vaccine mandate in New York next year and hope that Ben Simmons, with a full offseason, a full training camp, months more to try to regain his confidence and restore his mental health, plays at the level we saw in Philadelphia. If those things happen, Howard, you know, the Nets, we could be talking in late November about the Nets being the front run to win championship. Like, that's the talent level of the guys on that team, but I, a lot has to break right for that to happen. One thought from me on Nash, I thought he was really exposed in this series. I thought Ime Yudoka coached circles around him. Um, he was certainly um, undermanned with that team, without Simmons, without Joe Harris, but I thought the play calling there was very basic. It relied incredibly heavily on the singular talents of Durant and Kyrie Irving. I mean, Howard, I sat next to you the entire game on Monday and how many times I look at you and like it point out Durant's minutes in that game. Like here he is. He's at 23 in the first half. He's at 40 midway through the fourth quarter. Like you can't keep burning this guy out and playing him uh, that many minutes. I just, I, I you know, it, it was a questionable series for Steve Nash. And it reminded me Howard that like he was an unconventional choice to begin with. Like Steve Nash had never coached at any level really before he took the job uh, in in Brooklyn. He had been a in and out kind of assistant in Golden State over the years, popping in here or there, um, you know, to do some stuff with Durant and with others. But you know, I, to be an NBA coach, you kind of got to just be all in on. It. I'm not so sure Steve Nash is all in on. It. I don't I don't know if he has that mindset that Anime Udoka has that. You know, I, Tom Thibodeau had a tough year this year, but he was coach of the year last year. I mean, I, I just don't know that he has that um, the same level of passion you need to have to be a head coach in this league. So I, I think you have to look long and hard at that if you're the Nets. Yeah, listen, I, I don't... He was an unconventional hire. I didn't think it was... Uh, I, I've, I've never liked these kinds of hires, right? When the Nets reached for Jason Kidd, who had just taken off his Knicks uniform like a week before they hired him. Um, and, you know, look, Kidd has redeemed himself all these years later, but... Kid wasn't great for the Nets and was, you know, mixed at best with the Bucks and then had to go rehab himself on Vogel's bench in LA. He's done a great job for the Mavericks this year. Gained um, something from that too. Gained a lot from that yeah, experience as an assistant coach. Which just shows you why you should be an assistant first. And Steve Nash, I understand that he coached with the Warriors as kind of like a but he wasn't a full-time assistant coach. He was like a, you know, development specialist, whatever, you know, parachute in, parachute out. He was not a full-time assistant. I think that that has value. So, no, I don't think it was necessarily the right move to go for Nash any more than it was to go for Kidd before that or when the Knicks went for Derek Fisher. Like, I just think guys would benefit from being on the bench. It's the same thing I feel about front offices where, you know, Bob Myers served an apprenticeship in the Warriors front office before becoming GM. Leon Rose did not before becoming Knicks GM, and the jury's way, way out still on his tenure with the Knicks. 
I just think that these jobs are harder than it looks. and You need to actually get some on the job training. Um, in the case of Nash and the Nets, though, like you've got these two incredible individual talents. And so did Kyrie and Katie just kind of hijack the offense or did Steve Nash never really establish a system of offense to begin with? And are, are those two things mutually exclusive? Like they may not I be. Mean, <laughs> if you're the, if you're the coach, you tell the players how to play. If you yeah. don't have that, if you don't have that authority, you shouldn't be the head coach. Well, I'm not sure a team with Kyrie Irving on it ever has any authority. He's now basically said we don't. He started off by saying we, we don't need a coach. We're all coaches. Now he's saying I'm a co-manager of the team with Joe Sy and Sean Mark. So I Kyrie I just does I can't not get have over any that use quote for authority. I can't, I, I can't get over that quote. I can't. I've watched it back about I, fifty times in the last twenty four hours. Let me, let me just say that. I, I do want to say this definitively. The Nets offense was unimaginative as hell. Um, it, it, it was a lot of just KD with the ball, Kyrie with the ball, not a lot of movement, not a lot of other things, ways to get either get them open and make their lives easier or to get their teammates open and to take some of the burden off that way. So yes, I believe Nash does bear a lot of responsibility. I think the roster was horribly flawed though too young in spots way too small in spots most of their bigs were way over the hill LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin were barely playable um and that's on Sean Marks by the way let's talk about Sean Marks for a second real quick here too his best work was when he was digging the nets out from the mess of the Paul Pierce Kevin Garnett trade his best work was when he and Kenny Atkinson were creating all this great Nets culture that we all raved about at the time, and they overachieved, and they got the most out of guys like Joe Harris and Spencer Dinwiddie, guys who had been up, taken off the scrap heap, low picks like Jared Allen and, and Karis Levert. That was Sean Mark's best work. Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant recognized that and chose the Nets. So kudos to Sean Marks for making the Nets a destination for superstars they never were before. Great. But... Ever since then, they have called all the shots. They were the ones who decided DeAndre Jordan had to come with them on a big contract. They were the ones who allegedly decided it was time for Kenny Atkinson to go, despite the fact that Kenny Atkinson had done a pretty great job of coaching this team. Um, and then since then, it's like, oh, James Harden wants to come? So they, they like, did they, did they really need James Harden? And think about if we roll this all back, right? James Harden has become Ben Simmons, who's not even playing. But you... You go back, undo that trade. Now go back and undo the James Harden trade, and you've got Jared Allen and Karis LeVert, and maybe even Spencer Dinwiddie because you wouldn't have spent so much money on a third star. You've got a more solid uh, and deeper roster if you just never do the James Harden trade and get greedy about piling up superstars. I I, I, I didn't like the Harden trade at the time. Um, and, you know, I, I can't say that I, I, I foresaw all of this that would happen. I just didn't like the idea of sacrificing so much depth just for the sake of creating a super team during an era where super teams have kind of like, you know, fallen away. You know, having two stars and great role players should be enough in a league where the Suns and Bucks just faced off in the finals. I Look, I we don't have to get into the Sixers, but I feel the same way about the Sixers trade for Harden. Like, you didn't need to go get Harden. You could have flipped Simmons for, you know, pieces, shooters to Atlanta in a deal that might have brought Kevin Herter and John Collins back uh, in return. You could have done all that. Um, instead, the focus was on getting Harden, getting the superstar, and it hasn't worked out for for either team at this point. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. 
and you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. All right, I want to finish, Howard, with you know the team that won the series, Boston, which is moving on uh, into the second round. Four-game sweep for the Celtics. I think the Celtics right now are as good as any team in the NBA. They can beat anyone. Eastern Conference, Western Conference, it doesn't matter. I'm not so sure I'd make anyone a favorite against them at the moment, just because that team defends at the highest level in the NBA. Without Rob Williams even playing well, like he was rusty in the two games he came back in, that team still played good enough defense to stifle Kevin Durant in ways that I don't think he's ever been stifled in his career, to lock down Kyrie Irving outside of that explosive performance uh, in game one. They are great at that end of the floor. And I watch Jason Tatum right now. Tatum, beyond the scoring, Howard, he averaged seven and a half assists in this series. Seven and a half. That's three up from his regular season average. He is moving the ball better than he has before. Grant Williams has really emerged as a lockdown defender at multiple positions and might be the best corner three-point shooter in the entire NBA. The numbers he has from three from the corner are just staggering. This is this is a complete team right now. And, you know, we can sit point to the Nets and say the problems that they had and why they were in the position they were in. The biggest reason the Nets are out is because Boston is really good. The Celtics are great, and they showed it. Um, are you as bullish on their chances to win the whole thing this year as as I currently am? I think we have a genuine four-team race to win the East, so let's start there. Um, you know, uh, Miami, Milwaukee... I'm even. St- I'm going to keep Philly in there just as a placeholder, um, and out of respect for what Joel Embiid is is doing. Uh, I know things are looking a little shaky at the moment after two straight losses to Toronto. Um, I think it's a genuine four team race in the East. I think the rest is going to depend on matchups and timing and health. And if the Bucks were at full strength, if Chris Middleton were healthy, I'd feel better about the idea of just saying, you know what, the Celtics are great, but I think the Bucks, based on the longer track record, together. At, a, at the highest level, 
I would lean Bucks. But that doesn't mean I don't think the Celtics could beat them. Um, I think any of those four teams have a shot to beat the others. And um, I don't want to diminish what the Celtics just did in this first-round series, Chris, because Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are two of the greatest scorers in the game. But we just talked about how the Nets had no chemistry, no supporting cast, nobody to, to help those guys out. They're doing too much alone. They're playing too many minutes. The Nets made themselves easier to defend. And that's not to diminish the Celtics because, hey, the, the Celtics have the number one defensive rating for, the, for the, the regular season. They established it over 82 games. They're a great defensive team. That is not in question. They have the defensive player of the year in Marcus Smart. That is not in question. Uh, well, it is in some quarters of NBA Twitter. But the, the Celtics are legit. Everything you said about Tatum, legit. He and Jalen Brown, both evolving the way you hope the guys do um, in terms of becoming better playmakers, better teammates. Better and, and, and Tatum's case, a, a top-notch defender as well. They're absolutely legit on every level. I don't want to overreact to their sweep of the Nets because I thought the Nets, despite everybody saying, oh, there's this dangerous seventh seed that the team nobody wants to face, you know I was a skeptic from day one on, on them. Um, I don't think sweeping them was a massive achievement given the state of the Nets. And I'm more curious to see what happens when they go up against the Bucks in the next round. Well, yeah, Milwaukee's going to be war. Um, the Middleton injury, though, does loom yes. large over that. If he can't play, then I would say Celtics kind of in six. I think they they win that series because they'll find a defensive scheme that works against Giannis. They've got the bodies to throw up against him, whether it's Al Horford, Rob Williams, Daniel Tice, Grant Williams. They can throw some physical defenders at Giannis and make his life uncomfortable, make him more inefficient in a series like that. And as great as Drew Holiday is... Grayson Allen's fine. You need Chris Middleton to beat Boston. It's as simple as that. Miami, look, they look great against Atlanta. Um, we'll see what they look like against the winner of the Sixers-Raptors series when the competition uh, picks up a little bit. But they're very good, especially defensively. And they get physical with Boston. You know, when when they play the Celtics, the Celtics don't respond especially well to the physicality uh, of Miami. So that could be an interesting series as well. I just don't see any weaknesses right now with the Celtics, you're probably right. I mean, the Nets are what they are. They're dysfunctional. They didn't have any chemistry. But as I said, I have never seen Kevin Durant defended that way. I have never seen him defended that effectively in a playoff series. This is a finals MVP who is still very much in his prime. And yes, he had to play an exorbitant number of minutes over the last couple of months just to get the Nets into this position. But man, he was locked up, whether it was Grant Williams. How about Grant Williams? Like, was it third quarter? Timeouts called and Grant's defending Durant. Durant tries to take a you know throwaway jump shot and Grant follows him around for like seven seconds. Like Ime Odoka was starting his huddle and Grant Williams is over there still defending Durant on the perimeter. I mean they, you know they're they're great on the defensive end. I mean they go like nine deep and you don't really miss a beat when any one of those guys goes in there. When Derek White comes in, when Peyton Pritchard comes in, when Tice comes in, when uh, Grant Williams comes in. I mean they. I mean, they're as good as it gets, I think, on both and, ends of the floor. And by the way, the ageless wonder Al Horford defending his ass off all over the court, too. And I, I could not be more impressed by by the, the you know, late career renaissance of Al Horford, who, you know, we overlook all the time. It's like, oh, when Robert Williams went down, it's like, oh, all they've got is Al Horford and, and Daniel Tice. Like, no, those guys can actually, like, they don't have Robert Williams' length and hops and, and uh, elevation, but like... Those guys defend their asses off too, and can can cover a lot of the floor. Um, they're just 
they are really really tough. There, there's well, there's we don't no Howard, we don't we don't vote for we don't vote for executive of the year. But I would imagine Brad Stevens is going to get a lot of votes for executive of the year. I mean, he made should. the Al yeah. Horford trade. You know, before the season was close to starting, he flipped out Kemba Walker, and a lot of people questioned that because he gave up a first round pick Send out in a that pick. deal. Yeah. Sent out a pick that worked out. The Derek White trade has worked out for them. Um, you know, people laughed at him. Some in Boston said you could only get Daniel Tice for Dennis Schroeder. Well, where would the Celtics be without Tice? Like over that final month when Rob Williams went down, where would they be without Daniel Tice, who stepped in and played really well? So, you know, look, I, I look at the matchups. I mean, you, you mentioned the Eastern Conference teams, and, you know, they're tough, no question. But, like, let's say you get to the finals, and you go up against Golden State or Phoenix, uh, the two favorites right now, I think, to win it. Um if you're Boston, you're built to defend teams like that. Like teams with like, you know, good guards and good wing players. That's what the Celtics have defensively. You can deploy Marcus Smart on anybody in those types of series. Jalen Brown is just a cut below Marcus Smart. Jason Tatum spent the entire series defending Kevin Durant and doing it at a high level. I mean, they're going to be tough to score on for anybody. And they've got more than enough offensive firepower right now to beat anybody. So... Look, maybe I'm just maybe it's recency bias because we've I've seen all four games of this series, but you know now that Williams is back and off the injury report completely, he's got like what five or six days now to fully recover uh, and rest that knee and get back to full strength, get back some of the sharpness of his game. They're going to be a really tough out, no matter who they play in the second, third, and even the finals. Hey, look, man, I am always up for a week of lobster rolls in June, so. Um, you can't you can't I, stay I, at my house. You, you can't stay at my house. That's I took I took <laughs> that off the, the table. The entire SI staff, the yeah, whole I SI think, staff's coming to crash at your house. Yeah, we're all gonna have a house party there in uh, downtown Boston. But no, it, <laughs> look, I think it's very possible that they wind up there. So it, for sure, it no, it it absolutely is. I mean, and that's the thing. Like at the you know, look, forced to to choose. It's I think it's Boston or Milwaukee in the East. I have less faith in, in Miami and Philly for various reasons. Um, I think the Celtics have every possibility of getting there. And um, it's funny, too, because we spent the last few years wondering, you know, where's the breakthrough coming? Do they need a shakeup? There was all the debate about, of course, of do they need to flip Marcus Smart for a different kind of piece? Because he's their most valuable non-Brown, non-Tatum piece. Were Brown and Tatum destined to stay together or not? And, like, suddenly everything has fallen into place. And, I mean, you said it. Credit to Brad Stevens for some of the work he's done in his first year running the front office. Certainly credit to him for, for choosing Ime Udoka, who That's has, a big one, too. Like, Ime Udoka's yeah. been available forever as an assistant coach. I mean, he was yes. on that Nets bench. The Nets saw him. They, yes. He, he helped improve their defense to a, a serviceable level last year, and he was available, and Brad Stevens was the guy to hire him. Ime is remarkable, man. Like, I, I, I understand people that voted for Monty Williams and Taylor Jenkins and guys like that at the top of the ballot. Billy Donovan deserved a lot of credit, Eric Spolstra. But Ime Odoka was right behind Monty Williams on my ballot, and this first round, this series, was proof why. Like, he is an excellent coach and has been all season long. He broke this team of some crappy habits they had early on, and they took off after January 1st. They have been one of the best teams in basketball since then, and that's why Ime Odoka, I thought, deserved that number two slot. But, I mean, everything's just going right right now for the Celtics. So, yeah. we'll see. We'll see. Uh, next week, Howard, we were out on the rundown to discuss the Jazz. Let's see what happens in game six and seven, if there's a seven, in this Jazz Mavericks series before we dive into a uh, Utah postmortem. But Celtics connection there as well. You can see Danny Ainge just shredding that team down to its last atom, going full <laughs> Gordon Gecko on that Jazz this, roster. You, you, 
you know Danny better than I do. Does he actually carry around one of those cartoon plungers with him? Because it's like... <laughs> he doesn't, but you, you better believe everyone in that organization is wondering what he's going to do if this yeah. series goes south and this season uh, goes south on him. Good stuff, though, Beck. We'll do it again next week. Always a pleasure, my friend. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.